Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. This is my weekly platform to rant, rave, read out some news stories, and check in with uh, thought leaders and opinion creators from across the country. As you probably might notice, I'm dressed a little differently than usual. It's Stampede Week in Calgary. For some viewers outside of Calgary might uh, not know this, but most probably do. This is when we take advantage of this event to be able to cosplay for a week and pretend to be cowboys for a week. And it gets me out of having to wear the, the old outfits and everything. Nico's made a great stampede background there. And it's been going really well in Calgary this year. A really good stampede. A lot of people out having a good time. And yeah, I know. We were on the Cowboy Network, RFD TV, other spots, and you guys, come on, it's the nerve of this guy trying to dress up like that as this caricature of a cowboy. Oh, come on, let us have our fun. Hey, I am an Alberta boy, and I've, I've been near cows before, so it's as close as it gets. Okay, I got a good show today, as always, I think. But uh, we've got a former CRTC chair and newspaper executive, Peter Menzies, on. We're going to talk some more about Bill C-18 and, and just the state of Canadian media and the mess that the federal government's making with it. And, of course, uh, there will be the check-in with Mr. Naylor and lots of other things coming along. But I'm going to start out with what's got me wound up today. And I saw, you know, some numbers that came out recently from uh, Alberta Health Services. And the numbers are shocking. So the life expectancy for an Indigenous man in Alberta is now plummeted down to 60 years of age. And for Indigenous women, it's down to 66. So if you want to see the comparison of what that means, the national life expectancy for a non-Indigenous man in Canada is 80 and women 84. And the story across the country isn't uh, any different with Indigenous populations. It's just a matter of give and take a couple of years. And this issue hasn't garnered the headlines it should have because it forces people to face a reality they'd rather avoid. Canada's system and policies with Indigenous people, it's a complete catastrophe. And how bad does it have to get before people admit this? Think about that. Indigenous Canadians can expect to die 20 years before everybody else, and that number's getting worse. The population should be screaming for systematic reform from the rooftops in light of this kind of number, but the silence is deafening. Now, the opioid addiction epidemic is responsible for how fast it suddenly increased. It increased by a seven-year drop in life expectancy in the last uh, few years. But again, those expectancies were already low and they were already dropping. And again, it's indicative of some big, serious problems. Indigenous people have always had lower life expectancy than the rest of Canadians. We shouldn't accept this. They're dying younger than other citizens, though, because of an assortment of causes, ranging from diabetes to prostate cancer to murder. In fact, with every single aspect, when you measure the standard of living, Canada's Indigenous people fall short. Whether it's income, health, addictions, crime, education levels, mental health issues, housing, domestic stability, they're lagging by every measure. And it isn't getting better. But what did people expect? How can somebody look at Canada's system of racial apartheid, and that's exactly what it is, and not see a socioeconomic disaster in the making? How could a person think that keeping a race of people separated from the rest of society on what are usually isolated reserves with little to no local means of generating income and think that these people are going to fare well under these conditions? Does anybody really believe there's a sustainable future for people living on these enclaves of dependency and misery? I mean, what do they envision? Do they think citizens and residents on reserves will suddenly find and develop local resources and begin to live functional lives independent from government management and dependency? Yeah, you know, some people really believe those things might happen. But all that tells me is they've never actually spent time on a reserve in Canada. 
I'm not talking about somebody who's gone and attended the odd powwow or done a corporate retreat that had a sweat lodge attached to a resort in a native reserve somewhere. I'm talking about getting off the main road and seeing how our First Nations populations are really living on those reserves. Have a look at the dilapidated houses, the wild dogs, the crime, the trash strewn about. And it's common, guys. That's the reality on most of Canada's reserves. And it's not improving. For most Indigenous people on reserves to make a living, they have to leave the reserve. Unfortunately, many of those residents from the reserves are ill-equipped to adapt to town or city living. And then they fall off the rails when they've gotten off the reserve. It's terrible. A lifetime of economic dependency in a tight and often dysfunctional social environment handicaps Indigenous people when they try to break free. And we've got to face that reality. The reserve system is an inhumane policy failure and it has to come to an end. And I know that won't happen overnight. It can't. It's going to take decades of policies modeled to transition people away from the reserve system and into society in general. People will need compensation, training, and adjustment for it. Individual property rights need to be applied for people on reserves to break them out of the collectivism that's destroying them today. And of course, there'll be legal challenges too. Many people have misconceptions about what treaty obligations the country actually has to Indigenous people. Now, most of those obligations, if you read a treaty, they just have to do with things like providing education, determining some land boundaries, and some minor payments. We could apply private property rights and come up with some final settlements and still abide by treaties. Most of the policies applied to Indigenous people right now come from the outdated and terribly racist Indian Act. That gross piece of legislation needs to be repealed. And as a society, we need to move away from all race-based policies. It fails the people every time. There's a giant parasite class living on the backs of Canada's Indigenous population. There's bureaucrats, civil servants, and many lawyers. They find the status quo very lucrative, and they'll defend it vigorously. People calling for changes to the system will always be called racist, among other things, by those other parasites invested in the current bloated and corrupted system. Nobody's calling out a race. What needs to be called out, though, is a system failing an entire race. Nobody's calling for assimilation either. Cultures can be preserved without being locked in an isolated reserve away from the rest of society. And spending more money alone, it won't solve the issue. Federal spending, just federal, on Indigenous programs in 2021 was $24.5 billion. That's above and beyond every other dollar is spent, as, as is spent on Canadian citizens in general. And that doesn't include the spending from provincial and municipal governments on top of that. And what are the results? It's not the spending I'm begrudging. It was actually making the lives of Indigenous Canadians better. I would accept it. It's the lack of results. It's failing. I mean, again, they're dying 20 years younger than the rest of us. Come on. We could triple spending on Indigenous programs tomorrow and things wouldn't noticeably improve. Unless the system's replaced, we're just tossing money into a black hole. Canada's Boy, system... right on this. Racial policies and segregation needs to be phased out. And the best thing that could happen for Indigenous Canadians suffering under the mess we have right now, this is the best thing we could do. If one really did actually hate Indigenous people, I can think of a few things more terrible that can be done than to maintain the current system. We can't repair damage caused through race-based policy through applying even more race-based policies. Anyway, guys, it's time to start talking about it, frankly, okay? It's really failing. I mean, how can we look at those numbers and say, we can fix this? We can't, guys. It's already failed. If you really do care for Canada's Indigenous people, it's time for some courageous, frank discussion on changing the entire system, and significantly. And, and it's awful to watch it keep carrying on as it has been. All right, that's what's got me wound up today. But let's see what else there is to get wound up with and uh, check in with our news editor, Dave Naylor. Lots is going on out there. Uh, and there's some good news, bad news things happening. How's it going, Dave? 
It's going okay. How's it going with you, Tex? Oh, pretty good. Yeah, I know my Western outfit. I know it's not terribly convincing, but it gets me out of wearing a, a tie for when we tape the pipeline. No, that's a great looking shirt, I must admit. Uh, you been able to get down to the grounds yet? No, I haven't actually. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it this year. I'm going to try. We'll see. All right, how's uh, how's Jane and her uh, her stuff going? Well, it's going great. I mean, we've seen pictures popping up of Jane's artwork uh, throughout the Stampede. Of course, it's been placed in a lot of great visible spots uh, throughout in there. And uh, yeah, she's quite happy with that. Oh, good for her. Uh, as you know, Corey, because you were there, we had uh, our staff Stampede party uh, last night. We went to uh, Auto Screw Bills for the annual Testicle Festival. Now, the background to this is we, we hired last year a young wet-behind-the-ears reporter called Jonathan from Ontario. Uh, so he arrived with his one suitcase and uh, quickly made Calgary home. But he really couldn't be in an, uh, an official Albertan quarry until he'd tried the, uh, the prairie oysters, you know, the, the, the testicles. So, of course, we took him down there and uh, we had some inter-office betting on, on how, much, uh, uh, how many uh, he could swallow. And uh, holy cow, he started popping them. And if the little bugger didn't eat 12 balls. Oh, I'm like, happier than when he's got a mouth full of balls. I know. Uh, the staff checked and uh, they had no record of anybody eating that amount of balls before. So uh, Jonathan Bradley is the official king of the balls. And uh, you can uh, read all about it on the website uh, now. And uh, excellent video put together of... Uh, the ordeal by uh, by Nico, so so that's a lot of fun. Uh, that uh, that story, uh, other stuff that's not so fun. Uh, Edmonton's had a horrible plague of uh, violent crimes the last uh, forty eight hours, and including some four some poor eighty seven year old guy who's apparently an avid photographer uh, was taking pictures downtown, and uh, he was just suddenly attacked and and beaten and and severely injured. Uh, fortunately, there were a couple of uh, uh, peace officers nearby, and they were able to uh, drag the attacker off him. They've had murders and and other stuff. Uh, uh, really, been a bad uh, bad start to July for uh, the provincial capital. Uh, the Bank of Canada added again this morning, Corey, raising uh, uh, the interest rate another quarter percent. Uh, it's now sitting at five percent, uh, which is the highest rate in 22 years. So those with variable mortgages uh, aren't uh, happy campers uh, at all today. The uh, federal government has told uh, Canadian Airlines they need to give better service, uh, better information to travelers, and uh, basically that they've run out of excuses. No more excuses for, uh, for what happens, and uh, I say good luck uh, with that because we know that's not going to happen. And uh, the ongoing BC port strike uh, costing uh, the Canadian economy half a billion dollars a day. It's now going into its uh, second uh, week, and uh, labor organizers are uh, telling uh, the prime minister he better not get involved. So while all the uh, all the other premiers have got together basically and said, you know, get Parliament back and order them back to work, uh, the uh, the labor types uh, don't want anything to do with that. So uh, so those are the highlights up at the moment, Corey. There's a lot more a lot more to come this afternoon, and uh, I guess we'll see you on the pipeline tonight. Yeah, you bet. Well, lots of balls in the air. We'll re report on what's been changing and happening uh, as it goes. Thanks, Dave. You bet, Corey. All right, that is our news editor, Dave Naylor. Just want to like to remind everybody the reason we got all those stories. We got those reporters, whether it's uh, 
Jonathan and his uh, skill with the bull testicles or uh, Arthur Green reporting on, yeah, the, the crazy crime rate in Edmonton uh, is because you guys have been subscribing. So please, please, if you haven't already, get on there, westernstandard.news slash membership. I'm not begging. I'm asking you for to pay for a service we provide. This is how we can stay independent. This is how we can keep things going as a media outlet. And we've been doing well, and you guys have been doing great. We really appreciate it. If you've subscribed already, thank you very much. And if you haven't subscribed yet, come on, $9.99 a month, 100 bucks a year. You get past that paywall, get in there, and... Uh, just keeps things rolling like this show and our reporters going all over. Yeah, that, that has been, I'll just, you know, sidetrack a little bit before we get to our guest. We're going to talk some media stuff here in a few minutes here. Uh, Arthur Green, yeah, he's, he's the uh, friend of our copy editors in a big way here at the Western Standard. Very prolific writer, but one of the things he's been covering a lot of in Edmonton has been the crime that's up there. I mean, we're seeing it in every city and uh, there just seems to be a wave hitting up there right now. And at the same time, Rather than dealing with these things, though, rather than admitting what's going on, these progressive city councils, we have it in Calgary as well, just they're in this world of denial. So Edmonton has set this goal. They, there's nothing progressives love more than setting goals that they, I'm sure they must know they won't achieve. And they're saying, oh, Edmonton's going to be one of the lowest crime cities in Canada by 2030. Well, since they put that announcement out, I think there's been a, a couple of fatal stabbings. There's that horrible crime against that elderly gentleman we saw the other day. The streets are going wild. I mean, it's a complicated issue. It's tied in with a, a lot of addiction challenges and, 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 and all sorts of other things. But to sit and, and, and deny it as it is. In Calgary, for example, I mean, it's been focused and we see that in a lot of cities. It, it ties to the addiction. It ties to the dealers uh, fighting with each other as they work to, to serve the addicts. But they, they, it comes around the transit systems and on the trains, and it was getting increasingly violent. One of the things that happened in Calgary is, uh, well, Premier Smith, people could call it a campaign stunt or whatever, but she dedicated 12 sheriffs to each city to run on the, the transit areas and the high crime areas and have a presence that's there. Well, Calgary got rid of them. They got rid of them since they said, no, we're doing okay. We don't need them. I mean, the point is, it's political pride. And it also, it clashes with their ideology. You hear from all the time, police don't prevent crimes. Yet at the same time, whenever Mayor Gondek goes out to do a photo op at a uh, uh, transit area, she's surrounded by 12 police officers. So they seem to prevent the crimes from happening to her. I mean, that's the point. They do make people safe at least when they're present. So we need their presence at these stations. It doesn't solve the problems. I understand that. It pushes them to different areas, but at least people can safely commute. But they don't want to face those realities. They don't want to deal with that. So they just set fluffy goals, continue with enablement policies, and the crime rates still go through the roof. I mean, we're, as you can see, in the stampede in Calgary. It's going to be KDs in Edmonton next week. And uh, let's hope they get some mayhem cleaned up so people can have fun, at least for that week. All right, let's move along. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, it's been a while. We've had him on the show before, but it's been quite a while. It's Peter Menzies. He's a former chair of the CRTC, a newspaper executive, very, very experienced, skilled man with media. And he's been very outspoken and, and critical, as, as a lot of us have on Bill C-18. So thank you very much for, for joining the show today, Peter. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So, I mean, I, most of my listeners are pretty aware due to many repeated rants out of me on what C-18 is, but perhaps if you could run down in a nutshell what that bill is about and, and where it's been. Yeah, it's an effort to redistribute uh, advertising income earned by social media and search platforms and search engines to uh, newspapers and other news organizations. Uh, qualified ones that uh, that have been making the case. Here's the journalistic approach. Have been making the case, uh, shouting very loudly that 
Facebook at all have been stealing their content. For, and this has been going on for years. They keep saying that. I'm not quite sure why they get away with it, because they never support it with anything other than just a statement. So the non-journalistic or the less journalistic point of view is that it's kind of a shakedown. Actually, it is a shakedown. It most certainly is. But I mean, I, I guess maybe we'll talk a little more, though. I mean, into the, I would consider it as a libertarian, more of a devil's advocate point of view. But I mean, you've seen the decline of revenue and ability in the media industry. You know, I mean, it's been dramatic this last 10 years. And it's a, people will call it a problem that needs to be solved, whether or not the government should intervene to do so or not. But we, we our news is at risk. So, I mean, C-18 isn't the solution, but what should we be doing? Yeah, I mean, I guess th there's a couple arguments there. News is certainly at risk because it's a, it's a time of disruption, right? But times of disruption tend to sort the men from the boys in these in these kinds of things. So the companies that are well-equipped intellectually and uh, willing to invest in their product tend to find their ways through these things. Companies that aren't um, tend to struggle more. Um, I mean, it's going to be a struggle for everybody, but some make it and some don't. That's what happens. That's in when things evolve, right? When the when the business models evolve in terms of that. There have been a number of newspapers, the Wall Street Journal, the, the, the New York Times is actually starting to do quite well, uh, Daily Telegraph in London, the Times, uh, the Guardian made money last year in London. And, you know, after years of not making it and going with, you know, voluntary subscriptions and voluntary donations, others have gone behind a paywall. You guys are using are, are using a paywall. Um, you know, the, the guys who are going back to that and are providing content that is pleasing to their readers are getting through it. Others are not. And uh, so, you know, and, and yet at the same time, we through the Internet, we have access probably to more news than we've ever had before. Yeah, and, and I guess there's what the the uh, one of the bigger risks with the government getting in this way, particularly with C18, is it'll stunt the evolution of outlets. I mean, it doesn't give them that incentive then to change or be innovative or try new models, and it also strangles the little ones like us or, or the ones that may not qualify. Uh, as the government's going to pick and choose who is a qualified outlet and who isn't. Well, it's actually got worse than that. I hate to break it to you, but. This week, it, it appeared like the uh, the government was sort of backing down, and and it is uh, because I think I think Meta, Facebook, and Instagram, um, unless something dramatic changes, they're gone for good. They're out of the business in Canada, everywhere. Uh, they are not news providers; they are content providers, and news is a small percentage. And as they've been saying recently, it's just not worth the grief. Um, there's just not; it's three percent of their content, and that and those users are replicable. They'll still be there for other reasons, in other words. Yeah, but what they've done is they've changed from a per links, which was really problem sort of way of charging people, charging the, the, the social media, the web giants, to sort of putting a cap on it, making a calculation. And then the big thing problem for guys like you is that they're really restricting the number of people to whom they may have to distribute money. So I still think it's a long shot that any money gets distributed through this. But if it does, here's who it's going to. Videotron, Bell, the CBC, probably the biggest, probably the biggest bunch. Rogers, um, you know, maybe Black Press might be the biggest one that gets out of there. But innovators, startups, entrepreneurs like Western Standard, Blacklocks, uh, Halifax Examiner, you know, Narwell, they're on the left, they're on the right, they're screwed. 
they'll be left they'll be left out they will not be subsidized the 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 status quo right which includes most of the people who are struggling and a lot of people who have tons of money anyway like bells and Ro bell and rogers will get the loot and uh, you guys will not We'll have to find other ways. We're pretty stubborn. I don't know if they'll get rid of us that easily. Well, but that's where you need, you know, like you gave a little pitch there. That's where you need your readers, your readers' support. You know, like if, 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 and th th that's really the thing that people are going to have to get their heads around. If they want the sort of content they're looking for, if they want local product, if they want, right now you have the only uh, online newsroom in, in, uh, in, in Alberta, I think, other than the CBC. Um, in terms in terms of doing that, there's no Calgary Herald, no Calgary Sun, no Edmonton Journal, no Edmonton Sun newsroom that I'm aware of. Um, if people want that, it's ten bucks a month. It's like it's a beer, right? Well, and you know, I, and if they're not willing to put that forward, they'll lose. I, I try to you know remind people, at least those of us of a industry, remember we never thought twice of spending that much or more to have the paperboy bring that to us to our household every day, and that was decades ago. Uh, you know, and for, for that sort of price, you can get the same thing. And I'm hoping Canadian consumers learn to adapt that way. They realize it's a product to pay for. And, and a lot of our subscribers have so far. It just, just takes some time. Yeah. And, you know, you don't need to get everybody. You just need to get enough. Right. I mean, that's that's basically the, the, the way that needs to go. And I mean, the Globe and Mail has, you know, really shuttered down with the with the paywall and that sort of stuff and all the other papers I mentioned have done that, but you got to have the quality, you got to have the value proposition, right? So, you know, you guys are doing a good job on that and others are too, but, you know, some, I mean, it's, it's very difficult, you know, I, I don't like calling names out, but it's very difficult to, for a post media product these days to make a, a, a value proposition. Half of it is, you know, half of your local paper is the national post. Um, so why would you buy your local paper when really, I mean, school board doesn't get covered? City council get covered, courts, yeah, now and then, right? So, what's what's the point? No, it's difficult. So, I mean, do you think maybe though? I mean, the government backed down a little bit, and as you sort of point out, the government really doesn't have the leverage they pretend to have or think they have with the social media giants. I mean, it was three percent of the content they provided. I can't see Facebook and Google back and down. People keep saying, "Well, that happened in Australia," but I think that just says all the more they're not letting that precedent get set because every country with a greedy government is going to come in and try and snatch some from, from them in the future. So, I mean, do you think the government will swallow some pride maybe and, and just get this bill or, or are they just going to keep on this standoff and no news gets provided on those giants at all? Sure. Well, first of all, the, the narrative that Google and Facebook backed down is one spun by Rupert Murdoch's media in Australia. It was actually the government that backed down and, and, uh, and made some amendments and said, basically, you're free to make your own deals. And then we you know, nobody's actually ever used the Australian legislation. So to that extent, you know, the, the Australian model is the government threatening to do something unless everybody else does something. I think the government's in the situation right now where I think it's too late for, for Meta, for Facebook. I think, they, uh, uh, I think they insulted them too much. I mean, people don't make emotional decisions. They make business decisions. But they also found that they were probably going to be insulted whether they made a philanthropic decision and said, okay, we'll help anyway. Because let's face it, none of them set out to kill newspapers or to kill news products, right, in terms of that. So what they're trying to do now is salvage some sort of deal with Google, which will put a cap on it. Um, 
And right now, my understanding is there's a huge difference between what uh, News Media Canada and some of the other lobby groups uh, lobbying for the loot um, are expecting and what Google's willing to pay. So, you know, the best case scenario, this ends up with them making some kind of deal with Google, who then get exempted from the act, and then they maybe never even bother bringing the act into force, which allows Facebook meta to still carry news, which they might decide to get it. But it might be too late for that. They might decide to get out of the business anyway. Um, or uh, as it stands, they don't get any deal with Google. And as it stands, they're not going to get one, near as I can tell. Um, and we play this drama out through the fall. And then we'll see what uh, probably the best case scenario for everybody is that the government amends Bill C-18 so that the coming into force date uh, just gets extended into eternity. And yeah. you just kind of, nobody, they don't withdraw the act. It sits there, but no harm is done. Yeah, you just kind of let it die quietly of old age. Yep. Uh, I mean, something it's got to be frustrating. And, and it's been, a, I wrote on it recently, a, a difficult environment for established journalists. They put in their time and everything. And, and then, you know, there they're, just isn't the demand for, for their product as, as there used to be. But, I mean, I, I see it as almost some of the outlets are, are, are really jumping on the government bandwagon. I, I think uh, post media has said they're going to stop advertising on Facebook and, and the shots go back and forth, but it, it feels I, 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 it's just sad to see such large institutions coming, getting down to that rather than seeking uh, uh, changes in their ways to, to try and get out of the, the soup they're in. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of nationally embarrassing to see that we're going through this with our, with our media. I mean, we used to be pretty proud, proud of our media and that sort of stuff. And uh, a lot of it just isn't very good anymore. Um, and nobody, I can't believe I just said that out loud, but people need to say that out loud a little bit from time to time, right? Like you, you actually have to have, like I was saying, a, a, a product that, that people want to buy. And here's one of the tough things for the journalists. Like, hey, look, they got kids, they got mortgages, they got, they've got, you know, livelihoods, they've got elderly parents to care for, they've got all those things that everybody else does. So it's not like, you know, we we shouldn't empathize with their with their predicament. And I can understand their despair and their desperation in in terms of that. But news, there hasn't ever been a great deal of money in news. The fact of the matter is those big old newspapers, like the one I used to run, it wasn't just the news that people bought it for, right? It's like those were the days when if you wanted to rent an apartment, you had to buy the paper. If you wanted, if, if, if you wanted to you know, sell your car, you had to put an ad in the paper. And if you wanted to buy a car, you had to buy the paper. If you wanted to do virtually anything, if you want to find out who had a kid, who had the births, deaths, whose daughter got engaged, who got married, um, whose grandma died, you had to buy the newspaper. If you wanted to see the comics, the horoscope, that sort of stuff. I mean, I got back in the day when Catherine Ford and Peter Stockland were both writing on the Calgary Herald editorial pages, and everybody thought this was great controversy, and it was, and it was fun. And, they, and you know, it'd be like, what are they going to say next? And that sort of stuff. The fact of the matter is, though, I got more phone calls when the Canadian Tire Flyer wasn't delivered to somebody's door on a Thursday morning than over anything Peter Stockland or Catherine Ford ever said. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's the world has changed so dramatically. I mean, it's good to remind everybody. It was just such an it, it was a need. It was an integral pipeline to to information. You you couldn't 
go without it. But those, those yeah, and the, the internet products that really killed newspapers, it's not so much Facebook. I mean, Facebook didn't start making money until 2012, right? Um, and it was over for newspapers by then because it was Kijiji and Craigslist and did it, right? Classified advertising was worth 30, in some cases, 40% of most news, North American newspapers' revenue. And these guys gave that stuff away for free, right? And how do you compete with that? All of a sudden, something you're, you know, like a, a product like the Globe and Mail, if you wanted to rent an apartment, it cost you 80 bucks to put a classified ad in, right? All of us, and they, I mean, these were very high rates, 25 cents a word, I think the Herald was, and that sort of stuff. All of a sudden, somebody's given that away for free. So if, they, if they're chasing anybody for loot, it should be Kijiji and Craigslist. Yeah, which, well, I don't want to give them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it is tragic. But I mean, obviously, that's just, it's just not going to change anymore. I mean, now that I can pick up my phone and search out a used car or an apartment or a job, uh, it, 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 it's, it's just not coming back. This is a, a change in history. Uh, what do you think? The approach is, I mean, you think the government can quietly let this go to the wayside? Would it almost be better to, for the rest of us to quiet down and let them sort of pad this thing away? Or well, I actually, I actually think, and, uh, you know, this is where they should have been years ago. But, I mean, we are where we are, so there's no point in Monday morning quarterbacking it. But uh, my former CRTC chair, uh, Conrad von Finkenstein, and I just recently did a paper for the McDonald laurier Institute, the purpose of which was just trying to say what we need is a national news industry policy of some kind, right? It involved, like our suggestion was that pe when people subscribe, they that subscription becomes 100% tax deductible. Now, the Globe and Mail, you know, picked up on that idea in an editorial the other day, and they suggested 70%. Well, fine, but I mean, what we're trying to do is get a conversation started going. But obviously, the current 15%, that's not going to there's no incentive in that getting a 15% tax break on your $120 a year to the, you know, I mean, who's going to even bother claiming that in their, in their, in their, in their tax form, but make it 70, make it a hundred percent. It's different, it, you know, a different type of funding mechanism from the, from the web giants, um, all kinds of different things. So reforming the role of the CBC, getting them out of the advertising business, that sort of stuff. That's the sort of, that's what we need to do. That's a long-winded way of saying what we need to be doing is not subsidizing zombie products from the past that are basically staggering around dead, right? And trying to find out ways to keep them staggering around dead. That's like a subsidy for products that are in palliative care. What you need to be do be doing is understanding what's going on. The you know the the nature of the the tech revolution that's happening, which is huge, right? and build a path forward to the future, right? We have this federal government that fancies itself as so progressive, and yet when it comes to economic matters like this through Bill C-11 and C-18, they are paleocons, right? They're trying to preserve the world of 1985 and everything they do. It's crazy. No, it's not coming back, but I guess we can we can keep speaking up and keep pushing and then keep trying to, to prosper outside of that. I really appreciate you coming on to lay out, you know, what the issue was. I mean, you've, you know, don't want to date you too much, but you've had experience through a great number of years of journalism and, it, and it's worth applying that. I mean, seeing the evolution and seeing where it's gone to. Uh, so as you mentioned, you you, you, uh, you put content, in, you know, you take part with the McDonald Laurier Institute. Uh, where else can people find your work, uh, Peter? Um, well, um, I've, I write for a number of different publications. I write for Epic Times pretty regularly. The Line, uh, The Hub is a, 
Uh, the last piece I wrote for the Hub got got a lot got a lot of carriage uh, in terms of that. I occasionally we write for the Globe and Mail, and now and then Western Standard too um, can 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 pick up my stuff. So uh, watch for it. If if people were to follow the McDonald Laurier, the easiest thing is to follow the McDonald Laurier Institute uh, site or social media feeds because they pick up just about everything we do and republish it under their brand. So uh, that's probably the easiest way for folks to do it. Great. Well, thank that's you another interesting stuff there too, by the way. Yeah, I was about to say, I've had a number of guests, you know, who've been a part of the McDonald Laurier Institute. They're a fantastic uh, organization. People should go there, as you said, just to look in, in general. There's, there's a, you could, you could lose some hours digging into the content there. It's, it's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, great. Well, I thank you again for, for your time and uh, sharing with us today, uh, Peter. And uh, well, hopefully the next time we talk, it'll be a, a little less bleak outlook. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, you know, like I said, like, keep your chin up. I mean, this is a disruptive time. It's a tough time. People will need new ideas. Some will work and some won't. But uh, just keep going forward and and uh, the smart and the able will survive. Yeah, we will. We're also this stubborn. Yes. All right. Thank <laughs> okay, thanks, Corey. That was Peter Menzies, and uh, yes, uh, just a, a resume too long to list when it comes to the media world, and, and uh, it, was, it was good to get that plug for the McDonald laurier Institute, because there's a, a lot of things there just worth having a look at. So yes, uh, let's see. Let's get back to talking about balls. You know, I, I just can't get tired enough of that. But we have some fun around here as well. That was something, though, that, that Peter mentioned, is we have a fully functional newsroom. We have an office in Calgary here with our news editor, our copy editor, our reporters, uh, you know, people working uh, in, in all sorts of roles here. And, and, and no more uh, outlets, very few have those anymore. But, you know, part of it, too, is being sociable and having fun. So we, we got out, as we said uh, uh, Dave mentioned the other day down to uh, Bottle Screw Bills is the name of the bar in Calgary, and they're having their testicle festival. And uh, we we gave uh, young Jonathan Bradley a chance to establish himself. So we'll run a video of that just so you can see what's going on there. Jonathan Bradley, and I'm a reporter with the Western Center. I'm here at Bottle Screw Bills right now. It's the Calgary Stampede. It's the annual festival festival. I'll be having prairie oysters. And in case you know what prairie oysters are, they're deep fried bull testicles. My boss, Derek, has told me that I have to eat these to keep my job or he'll send me back to Ontario. So, which I don't want to do because Alberta's far better than Ontario. So I'm going to dig in and have some. Here he goes. Here we go. Here he goes. Catch up. Oh. <laughs> oh. There's the presents. Pretty good. The deep pride takes away from the fact yeah! that. Put it all in your mouth. Come on. All right. Oh, like a cream sauce. <laughs> All right, Chris and Lee Jonathan. Yes, that was our uh, king of the balls there, Jonathan Bradley. I went down there and had a ball myself. And uh, eh, it, was, it was all right. You know, it's a fun thing. I honestly, and hey, they aren't a sponsor or anything like that. You know, check it out if you want a fun spot to hit during Stampede if you're in Calgary. They're out on 10th Avenue, Bottle Screw Bills. Their service was excellent. Their staff were great, putting up with a bunch of us loud clowns down there. And that's part of what the Stampede's about. Get in there, have some fun, have a chuckle and things. And uh, you don't have to eat 12 balls like Jonathan did. But, you know, it's like one of those things. I, I did the sour toe when I was in Dawson City after uh, taking a break on an Arctic job. Uh, 
know, you can check that thing off on your list sometimes. Uh, Canadian conservative saying, yeah, Jonathan earning his paycheck. Yes, I, I don't think he was really going to be fired if he didn't put balls in his mouth, but all the same, uh, he had pressure from the, the place to show he was a true Westerner, even though he's recently come out here, well, it's been just over a year from Ontario. And, and he writes some great news stories, guys, and, and other things. And there was a, the rest of the crowd there was good. All right. You know, speaking of that area, so, and speaking of some of the, the fun, uh, kind of tying in with everything else we've, we've got going on with the crime I was talking about that Arthur uh, Green writes about quite often and, and things like that. We have that in Calgary. These civic governments, guys, we, we've got to stop letting our municipal politicians get away with what they do. We've got to stop putting these woke lunatics into the mayor's chairs and council chairs. We're paying a price for it. So, yeah. Calgary's downtown, as I said, we, we got some serious, serious crime challenges right now. I think the reason we're not hearing about a lot of them right now is that, uh, you know, the stampede is overwhelming everything with news coverage. So in Edmonton, you're hearing it. When we were sitting there, it, must, it was at least six ambulances went by on 10th Avenue where we were down there uh, enjoying ourselves on the patio, having a fun time. And, and we know the majority of that was for overdoses. No easy solutions, but we really got to address those things and quit kicking the ball down the road and can down the road and, and trying to procrastinate with it. But in Calgary, they're coming up with even more stupid things. Yeah, I know. There's always room for uh, municipal politicians to come up with stupid. And, you know, everybody in just about every city can nod their head because and, and, they know they've seen idiotic anti-automotive policies like this come up because there's this cult-like thing. I mean, I mean, some point out it's, you know, agenda 2030, things like that. I think those inspire a lot of these municipal politicians, but they really are at war with vehicles. So what they want to do, I'm going to describe it a bit because not everybody viewing, of course, is from Calgary, but Calgary south of the downtown has sort of a main artery full of businesses, uh, neat spots, restaurants, bars, stores uh, at 17th Avenue Southwest. And it uh, goes through an area that's called the Beltline. So it's kind of outside of the main skyscrapers, but it has a lot of apartments, a lot of high density living and, and a lot of population. Well, the clowns in City Hall are saying, you know, we should shut 17th Avenue down and make it a big, long pedestrian zone. Oh, and they're talking seriously about this. Now, 17th Avenue moves 15,000 vehicles a day. If you go south of 17th, uh, describe it to others, that's Mount Royal. It's not a good neighborhood to get through for, for getting from one place to another. It's on a hill and it's just a rich neighborhood full of mansions. You go north, you're going farther into downtown. Now, what the hipsters who are supporting this idea and the others saying, oh, we would love that. We don't want cars in our belt line. Uh -huh. Those 15,000 vehicles are all going to pour onto the other streets, guys, to get around that. They were going from one place to another place. And they can't stop just because you morons shut down access down this main road. They will just go down another one and you're transferring the problem somewhere else. But it won't be 15000 worth. No. 5000 of them are going to say, you know what? Whatever I used to have to do down there, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm going to do my stuff in the suburbs. I'm going to go somewhere else and take my business, my time, my uh, wallet to another spot. Some of the citizens in these high-density, traffic-laden areas will also get the hell out of there. I've said it on Twitter, it works people up, because I live rural, actually. I'm just, a, just outside of Calgary on an acreage, but I'm not in the city. And every time these twits pull off stuff like this, my property values go up, because more and more people say, I'm, I've had it, I'm out. But, I mean, Calgary's downtown is a disaster zone, as are many of them. Uh, with, with the addiction, with, with the ground-level businesses get down there, for lease signs are everywhere. And they talk to business owners, they bully business owners 
oh, this will be a good idea for the businesses. No, it won't. No, it won't. Neither was it when they stuck stupid friggin' bike lanes in front of all of those businesses. Oh, that's going to bring more business to you. It didn't. Cyclists don't spend money. God, guys. So you close that down. It'll be great for 17th, perhaps, during Stampede and on some nice summer days. Other than that, you're going to crush those businesses. And you're going to make the whole neighborhood. There's a map of the city. You know, it's limited by a river and a number of areas. You cut that main east-west access. And you're going to cause a real problem. The only other decent access, there's 11th and 12th avenues. And what they did, of course, is they stuck bike lanes on them. So they, they squashed all the parking off of that. And they've made it narrower and narrower. And they just, they live in this delusional world. I mean, what they want to do, what they really do want to do, these ideologues, these nut bars. And, you know, we can usually dismiss nut bars. But unfortunately, these nut bars are winning elections in cities across the country. I can't wait to see what Madam Chow does in Toronto. But they think if we could just hound and harass and annoy auto drivers enough, they'll just say, you know what, I'm going to go green and ride a bike to work in January in Calgary. Or I'm going to ride the bus. I'll just put on my stab-proof vest and hope that I don't get killed on the way to work. It's not going to happen, guys. They leave. They leave. There's no more cycle commuters in Calgary now than there were 10 years ago, despite all the bike lanes built for them. There's a lot of recreational cyclists who use those a bit in summer, but the hardcore people who actually are going to throw on spandex, freeze their testes off, and get their way across the city to go to work has always been around 2 to 3% of the people, like in wintertime. These are just fringe, good on them, but fringe lunatics. They didn't need dedicated lanes. It doesn't matter. They got their lanes. And uh, we're seeing more of it. They haven't stopped with the core now. They're going on to 17th. Go to 8th Avenue in Calgary. That's been a pedestrian zone for a long time. It has some neat businesses. It has things along there. But guess what? It's also got loads of for lease signs because the city won't stop the social disorder and nightmare that's going on there. And they've throttled all the parking so badly that people don't come down there to visit those businesses because it costs too bloody much. Either way, what, the whole bottom line of what I'm getting to is we see this everywhere. But the... the, the Part of having these progressives winning these civic elections, the problem isn't that they're winning. It's that they're winning because only 20, 30 at tops, 40% of people are bothering to get off their butts and vote in municipal elections. It's on us, guys. You got to get out there and fire these clowns or they're going to continue to run rampant like this. You know, with all this stuff going on around here too, this is something we see in Calgary. Uh, Gondek spoke to that, and the Calgary Economic Development, which is a slush fund organization for City Hall, we're talking about we should, we should move away from the cowboy image of Calgary. Yeah, yeah, we've got branding that's known internationally, the Calgary Stampede, this cowboy thing, and yes, it's cosplay, it's cheesy to some, but it brings a massive amount of people to the city. It puts the city on the map. And these elected morons in City Hall think, we, we, we should move away from that. We, we want to be more like Paris. Guys, you'll never be like Paris. You want to know why? Because Paris is over in France, and it's a city that was based on a med medieval model to begin with. Quit trying to aspire to be what you're not and develop with what you already have. Oh, we got to be world class. Guess what? We already are. So could be Edmonton, Saskatoon, Winnipeg. But we've got to apply common sense to these cities, not try to be something else. Take what you are, take your strengths, expand on them. One of your strengths should be common sense on the part of the voters, meaning they're not going to vote for these twits any longer. You're going to bring in people who are going to actually represent you. You're going to bring in people who want to make your place better, not rip it down and build it into some crazed globalist hipster model that they have in their mind. 
because it's failing. It's not working. And it's, it's, it's as similar as it is with the uh, electric vehicles. I see that with the cyclists and the rest too. Oh, everybody's going to switch to EVs. Everybody's going to switch to EVs. You know, we've been hearing that for 15 years. They've subsidized the crap out of it. They've poured loads of money into EVs. And guess what? It's still only 5% of the vehicles on the ground. Speaking of electric vehicles, maybe the day will come, but it's failed so far. And unless they change, well, <laughs> that's a separate discussion. Unless we change our climate dramatically enough, we're not going to see a large demand for year-round bicycle infrastructure in these major cities. But now I've seen, you know, maybe there's some benefits to global warming if it's coming along. If you guys really want to generate support for your bike lanes to expand and have people riding their bicycles around in February, January, then we should be warming up the earth faster. That's the only way it's going to happen. I'll ride a bike downtown in February if it's 20 above. But I'm going to have to burn a heck of a lot more coal and wood to get there, I guess. Assuming those things change it. Ah, madness going on out there. But I mean, yes, uh, that, that case, you know, we, we where's the common sense? Especially when it comes to the crime, the enablement. And we're seeing our cities getting worse and worse in our centers. Look to the entire West Coast. Because that's where the imbeciles and city council seem to look for inspiration. Look to what San Francisco, Portland, Vancouver have done. With enablement of crime of every kind whether it's drug-based or even shoplifting and theft, it's turned every one of those cities into uninhabitable crap holes downtown. And we're following suit. They keep saying, we want to follow the science and go with what works with the addiction episode. Well, okay, well, we know what doesn't work. So let's rule that one out and then start working on new things, but they won't give up. No, if we could just facilitate and enable, give enough free supply to people long enough, they'll get off those drugs. It's not going to happen, guys. You got to understand with addiction. And I know, been through it. I, I, I didn't uh, get off alcohol overnight. It was a long uh, battle with a, a few false starts. When you're addicted, you keep escalating and escalating and escalating. You never have enough. And you'll need more the next time. You'll need more the next time. They keep This myth, this BS that it's just tainted drug supplies. It's killing them. No, it's not. It's the friggin' drugs. It's the volume of the drugs they take. And it eventually it breaks down their body and kills them. Don't make your excuses that if we could just clean up the drug supply enough, these guys will survive it. They won't. They're addicted. They're living on the streets. They're going to die. They need treatment. They need to get off that stuff. doesn't matter how pure you make your fentanyl or your crack or your methamphetamine for them. There's no safe supply of it. So let's just get off that and get on to reality with it. As Arthur Green, there we go, our goofy noofy. I'll let him off with the final comment before I get going. I'm done with my ranting and raving. I'm going to enjoy Stampede. I'm going to smile. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to talk about balls. But he did say, we don't give out shots at AA meetings. And that's the truth, guys. If they were giving me shots of whiskey when I'd go to all my AA meetings, I'd probably still be a drunkard today and probably wouldn't even have a job. All right, thanks for tuning in this week, guys. I'll be back to my normal outfit and ranting and raving about all sorts of other things next week at this time. So thanks for tuning in, and we will see you then. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley's at $4.28, feed wheat's at $4.18, and corn's down $3 at $3.90 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, September Minneapolis futures lost $0.15 cents at $8.49, with local hard red spring bids for July movement at 975 per bushel. In the oil seeds, nearby canola futures increased $11.20 at 798.30 per ton, with delivered values for August movement at 1833 per bushel. In the pulse markets, 
Nearby red lentils are trading at 34 cents a pound, and yellow peas remain at 11.50 per bushel. In the cattle markets, August live cattle are down 22 cents at 178.60 per 100 weight. For more information on grain marketing, call me at 403-394-1711. I'm Sean Smith at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.